And at this time, I do want to invite up our preacher this morning, Pastor Allison. So let's welcome up Allison as she preaches. Hello, everyone. My name is Allison, and I'm the executive pastor here at the River. It's so good to be with you this morning. So we're currently in a sermon series called A New Kind of Christian. During this series, we are asking ourselves questions like, what are the characteristics that make up a mature, transformative Christianity today? What parts of the Christian faith are worth keeping and passing along to the next generation? My topic today is about how mature faith can help us to find the extraordinary in the ordinary. Now, in order to dive into that, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent. Um, but I promise you it will lead back to today's topic. So out of curiosity, have any of you had a chance to see the new Barbie movie? If you've seen it, you know I'll be curious to hear what you think after the service. Um, but critics are divided about the movie. Some think that it did a really good job responding to the complexity surrounding the Barbie brand. Others, however, felt like the movie didn't push quite far enough. For me, it was successful in that I found it both entertaining and thought-provoking. I saw it last weekend, and it's been on my mind ever since then. There are a number of scenes that I can't stop thinking about. One of them is the powerful monologue from America Ferreira's character where she talks about the impossible standards facing women. So much of what she had to say resonated with me and my own experiences. Even if you don't intend on watching the movie, I recommend giving this portion of the script a read. Um, a number of media outlets have shared it online, um, so you can go ahead and Google it. When she was being interviewed by The Atlantic, the director of the Barbie movie, Greta Gerwig, said this about filming the monologue scene. When America was giving her beautiful speech, I was just sobbing, and then I looked around, and I realized everybody's crying on the set. The men are crying too, because they have their own speech. They feel they can't ever give, you know? And they have their twin tightrope, which is also painful. Gerwig made a really important point here about why the scene was so impactful, and not just for the women watching. Patriarchy, with its narrow definitions of masculinity and femininity, is harmful to people of all genders, albeit in different ways. And there is something incredibly freeing about naming these oppressive forces, calling them out for what they are. Pressure to live up to an ideal can be soul-crushing. And this isn't just limited to ideals around gender. This can be true regarding any attribute or role that we take on in life, whether it be as a parent, a child, sibling, spouse, caregiver, friend, 
achiever, provider, employee, boss, entrepreneur, activist, leader, healer, and so on and so forth. And no wonder. Synonyms for the word ideal include exemplary and perfect. What human can be exemplary and perfect all the time? Not a single one. And yet, too often, that is what we expect of ourselves. As a way to deal with this kind of soul-crushing pressure, America Ferreira's character pitches the idea of an ordinary Barbie to Mattel executives. Rather than embodying impossible ideals, ordinary Barbie would promote authenticity and self-acceptance. In the movie, the Mattel CEO is skeptical of this idea until another executive runs the numbers and tells him it would be a profitable business decision. This scene is meant to paint the CEO as out of touch with women and culture at large, but a part of me wonders if he was right. I mean, how interested would the world really be in an ordinary Barbie? After all, isn't being ordinary a bad thing? Isn't it a quality that society tells us to avoid at all costs? We are taught to avoid being considered ordinary because we often perceive it to mean being less valuable, less special, or less important. But instead of thinking about ordinariness this way, perhaps it would be more helpful to think about the word ordinary as the opposite of the word ideal. What if we thought about ordinariness using words like real, genuine, imperfect, flawed, and unfinished? And another word, human. When we internalize society's messages that we must always be striving to embody ideals, especially unrealistic or unattainable ones, we can come to believe that who we are right now is unacceptable. And we can come to despise the humanity in ourselves and in others. Sometimes here at the river, we talk about this kind of disconnection from self and from others as the poisonous fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or as the toxic impact of conditionality on our lives and the world. But the heart of a mature Christian faith, agape, God's unconditional love, points us in another direction. Agape moves us toward unconditional acceptance of self, others, and God. Perhaps, then, an aspect of pursuing agape is embracing our humanity in all of its ordinariness. If we turn to the Bible, we'll notice that it contains many stories about people who would have been considered extraordinary, like rulers, prophets, apostles, and martyrs. And extraordinary events, like floods and plagues and wars and miracles, 
But what's interesting to me is that right alongside the extraordinary is lots of ordinary. In the book of Acts, the disciples themselves were described as uneducated and ordinary men. If you pay attention, you will notice that the Bible is filled with accounts of everyday people experiencing the ordinary highs and lows and in-betweens of life. People gathering food, fetching water, laboring, resting, singing, dancing, fighting, reconciling, rejoicing, weeping, and so much more. I find it reassuring that these two were the people of God, people who are worth remembering and learning from. God was with them in their stories and is with us in ours. No matter who we are, where we come from, or what we have or have not accomplished, Redefining ordinariness as acceptable, inevitable humanness is one way to embrace a more life-giving approach to life. Another strategy is challenging the usefulness of the categories ordinary and extraordinary altogether, especially when it comes to describing people. Christian writer C.S. Lewis did this when he wrote, there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Interestingly, for C.S. Lewis, being extraordinary was not based on being singular, unique, or set apart. Instead, it was based on our shared humanity and his view that each of us equally possesses an eternal soul, a concept he found awe-inspiring. In his sermon last week, Pastor Mike talked about how the greeting namaste means the divine in me bows to the same divine within you. C.S. Lewis was getting at something similar here. Every single one of us, no matter who we are, is created in the image of God. Theologians call this concept imago Dei. And it ties back to a portion of the first creation account in Genesis. When it was time to create human beings, God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness. So God created humans in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. According to this passage, no one gender, or by extension, type of person, has a monopoly on image bearing. Each of us is a fully formed equal image bearer. And yet, at the same time, no one of us is able to fully reflect or represent God alone. It takes all of us, with all our diversity and differences, to even attempt to reflect back the fullness of God. 
What if, when we looked in the mirror or looked at each other, we were able to visibly see this divine spark that lives in each of us? How would that change how we treat ourselves and others? Would it stop us from valuing some and devaluing others? From categorizing some as ordinary and others as extraordinary? And what if we could actually see God's spirit infusing all things, all moments big and small, all places magnificent and humble? How would that change our approach to day-to-day life? Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor offers this helpful perspective. Human beings may separate things into as many piles as we wish, separating spirit from flesh, sacred from secular, church from world. But we should not be surprised when God does not recognize the distinctions we make between the two. Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. God does not abide by our distinctions between the ordinary and the extraordinary. The presence of the divine is everywhere, with all kinds of people and in all kinds of places, in spectacular achievements and in the mundane. What if we had the eyes to see the thickness of God's presence permeating the world all around us? What would that change for us? At times, I feel like I'm able to recognize God's spirit in me, in others, and in creation. Such moments are incredibly powerful, but they're also fleeting. I can't help but wonder, wouldn't it be amazing to have this kind of supernatural vision all the time? But perhaps we are not built to withstand that kind of intensity 24-7. Kate Bowler, author and professor at Duke Divinity School, talks about three different kinds of time that we toggle between. Tragic time, apocalyptic time, and ordinary time. We experience tragic time when we are personally confronted with the frailty of life and the reality of death. This kind of time is often characterized by a heightened experience of the present with the sense that everything really matters. Apocalyptic time is similar, but on a larger scale. Think of facing the realities of things like global warming, and racial injustice. During these times, we can feel overwhelmed by fear or other emotions, but also, at the same time, like we are seeing the world for what it truly is. Finally, ordinary time is what Bowler describes as being caught up in the ordinary stuff of day-to-day life, the necessary, and good stuff that we need to manage our lives. All three types of time can be consuming in their own way. And we are meant to toggle between them. 
But this means that our experience of God will inevitably vary based on the season we are in. I've noticed that for me personally, I am most able to recognize God's presence in all people and all things when confronted with tragedy or apocalypse. In these moments, I am more able to live with a heightened awareness of the preciousness of all of God's creation. The need to cherish all the impermanent people and things that I love in the world. For example, I'm reminded of the days after my beloved grandmother passed away unexpectedly. I found myself making notes. Notes about the things she loved, like romance novels, Coca-Cola, and her grandchildren. Notes about her personality traits, like her generosity, stubbornness, and conflict avoidance. Notes about her physical appearance, her life story, her habits, and her quirks. All the big and small things that made her, her. The ordinary things that made her extraordinary to me. During those days, my memories of and gratitude for her were heightened, and I didn't want to forget a single detail. During ordinary time, I find that it can be more challenging to live with this kind of awareness, to fully appreciate the miraculousness of a singular human life. But according to Bowler, this is to be expected. She points out that we can't live forever in tragedy and apocalypse because we just aren't build, built to live that close to the edge all the time. Ordinary time is healthy and necessary, but can sometimes leave us yearning for a stronger experience of God's presence. The good news is that even during ordinary time, God is present with us. Even when we lack the eyes to see or the ears to hear, God is there loving us and rooting for us. And we don't have to move into tragedy or apocalypse to open ourselves up to this reality. Instead, practices like gratitude, meditation, prayer, service, community fellowship, rest, play, and exploration of nature can all help develop our spiritual senses. So today, as I invite the worship team back up, feel free to come up, I want to end with a prayer. It's excerpts from the Lorica of St. Patrick, um, and this is a prayer that has helped me to better tune into God's presence with me, in me, and around me. I have adapted the words a bit to apply to us as a community, and I hope that it will uh, help us to remember that God is always with us and for us. In the midst of all of our extraordinary, ordinary humanness. We arise today through the strength of heaven, light of the sun, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of the wind, depth of the sea, stability of the earth, firmness of the rock. 
We arise today through God's strength to pilot us, God's might to uphold us, God's wisdom to guide us, God's eye to look before us, God's ear to hear us, God's word to speak for us, God's hand to guard us, God's way to lie before us, God's shield to protect us. Christ with us, Christ before us, Christ behind us. Christ in us, Christ beneath us, Christ above us. Christ on our right, Christ on our left. Christ when we lie down, Christ when we sit down. Christ in the heart of every person who thinks of us. Christ in the mouth of every person who speaks of us. Christ in the eye that sees us. Christ in the ear that hears us. Amen. <laughs>